Section 8 of True Stories About Pets, edited by Jane Gray, Swisshelm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Little Willie by M. Prigg. Do any of the wide-awake boys take an interest in opossums? During a protracted stay in Australia, I had many opportunities of observing the frolicsome gambols of these woolly elves of the forests. They were widely removed from the sluggish or stupid little creatures they seemed to be in America. I have seen one of our fields left in the evening ready for the next day's carting. The rich, heavy sheaves nicely set up and capped in compact shocks, running from end to end of a paddock of thirty acres. And I have visited the same field in the morning to be reluctantly convinced that my favorite opossums were really the mischievous imps all Australians consider them. Scarcely a line of shocks remained as it was, but instead numbers lay prostrate, the sheaves scattered, the bands untied, and the heavy corn beaten and trampled down, partly eaten, and scattered about in woeful waste and disorder. The chief scenes of the destruction were within wide circles around several very large dead gum trees, which had been singed and left to perish, and up and down these trees, among their great bare branches, and round about the shocks of corn, it appeared that the maddest of the opossums' revels had gone on. I kept one of the common species, tamed, in my house for some months, and I learned their troublesome activity too well. One of our servants went out at night shooting them, killed two does, as the female opossums are called, each having a young one in her pouch, and these he brought to me. They were then about two-thirds the size of an ordinary squirrel, grayish-brown, soft-furred, sweet-faced little creatures, and I was as delighted with my prize as a child, and directly ordered a large tea-chest to be made into a cage with thin bars and a door on one side. As the man went on preparing the new abode, he observed quietly, "'Ah, miss, I have known many a people as kept tame possums, but never a one as wasn't glad to be quit of them again. This, however, I treated as most unworthy prejudice, and it diminished nothing of my zeal for the comfort of my poor little orphan pets. I gave them a warm bed of wool and fresh hay in which they hid themselves during the day, clasping each other with their paws and tails into one round ball. I fed them with bread soaked in milk and sweetened but for the first few evenings I had to give it to them very carefully, on account of their sharp little teeth and claws. Afterwards, they fed themselves, picking a piece out of the saucer and holding it in their forepaws, which, as well as the hind feet, have the toes so long and slender as to seem just like fingers, and in these little creatures the texture and color of the skin was soft and fair, quite a delicate pink, like a baby's fingers. They grew fast, and played with each other at night, and after a time began to eat young corn, grass, and parsley. One day, when clipping the thyme in my flower-beds, I unfortunately offered them a small bit in blossom. One of them refused it, but the other ate a small sprig, and coiled itself up to sleep again. A friend, dining with me that day, hearing me mention having given some time to the opossum, immediately said it would die. At night, when the cage was, as usual, carried in from the veranda to the hall, I saw that the one which had eaten the thyme was ill and would not touch its food. 
its eyes were dim, its nose hot and dry. My attempts to relieve it were all unavailing, and it grew rapidly worse, not noticing the efforts of its little companion to rouse it up to play as usual. And in the morning it was dead. The survivor, little Willie, continued growing and thriving well, and soon learned to unfasten his cage and let himself out into the hall. And then, such a scampering and scrambling and leaping and scuffling began, as no decent household who did not keep tame possums ever heard before. Up the wall and along the row of hat-pegs, knocking off all the hats and parasols to begin with, then, before you had time to catch a glimpse of him, frisking into the parlor, twisting his long tail over the top of a chair, and swinging by it gently to and fro, till suddenly he takes aim at the sideboard, springs upon that, kicking off everything in his way, such as a stray decanter or a vase of flowers. Then he runs around the back to the center scroll-work, where he sits plotting new mischief, though seeming wholly occupied combing his whiskers with a forepaw. If my open work-box were on the table, he made it a rule to spring up, hook his tail into it, and straightway upset the whole apparatus, flying before the scattered contents into a corner, and peeping out like a sly, spirited, half-shy, half-frightened child. At last, we made a rule never to admit Willie, of an evening, until we were disposed to be idle. For to read, write, or work, with this spirit of mischief in the room was impossible, and he was restricted to the hall with a fresh, young wattle-tree, perpetually renewed, set upright in a stand for his special comfort. Perhaps the drollest thing was to see him at supper after he had attained the size of a cat, and was quite independent in his ways and manners. Willie's tree stood close to the table where his cage and saucer of bread and milk were placed at night, and as he hung like a great live pendulum, swaying about from a high branch, he would stretch out one hand and, taking a piece of bread, proceed very composedly to eat it, with his head hanging down and his hind feet uppermost. The sight of my little playfellow swallowing his food in this topsy-turvy style was enough to give anyone a fit of indigestion. Willie fully appreciated the delights of society, and used to make clamorous demands to be let into the parlor long before the appointed hour, by running around the architrave of the door and crying angrily from the top. One night, to spite us, he contrived to slip into my bedroom and remained peeping at me over the cornice of the bed, until I pulled on a pair of strong gloves and dislodged him. One evening, when the weather was very sultry, with constant lightning and distant thunder, Willie failed to appear, and I sought him in vain. He had eaten his bread and milk, and was gone. Every place was examined, and we had given him up for lost, when I saw something, long and dark, hanging out of one of my father's hats against the wall. This proved to be Posse's tail. I would not have him disturbed, and he did not move till daylight. The tempest increased to a fearful height. The lightning was, for seven or eight hours, literally incessant, and the simultaneous peals of thunder were deafening. Willie, with animal instinct, had doubtless known a storm was at hand, and, as if in the forest, he would have sought shelter in a hollow tree, so now, though well housed, he sought a place of concealment. Latterly, he often opened his cage before the time when it was carried indoors, but I did not fear losing him, as he always cantered into the house. But one evening, in going to his cage, I found it open as usual, and my bird was flown.
After this, we heard almost nightly an opossum on the roof, and things left outside were tossed about much in Willie's scrambling style, so we believed the house still to be visited by its old inmate. But though tempted by bread and milk, Willie never returned to his cage. Nor, I must candidly own, should I have cared to recover my pretty plague, could I have felt certain he was well and happy. For I had sometimes acknowledged that keeping one tame possum, or a pet phalanger, for so the zoologically learned term an opossum, had given me a sufficient insight into their manners and habits in a domestic state. End of section 8